Welcome to the Green Acres podcast. We are so glad you're here. At Green Acres, we strive to transform lives with the truth of Jesus. Today's message comes from Pastor Michael Gossett. I want to ask you a question. If you were given the task of determining the value of someone's life, what criteria would you use? Have you ever thought about that? How do we objectively come up with a value of how much someone's life is really worth? You know, there's this interesting article that I came across. The British uh, science magazine is called New Scientist, and it noted the, the following thoughts as it was c- talking about trying to come up with an objective way of determining the value of someone's life. They, they talked about in wrongful death uh, lawsuits, uh, juries and judges decide what amount should be paid in each case. Uh, for the overwhelming majority of cases, there's no actual value placed on the deceased person's life. As one legal expert says, uh, there's damages for pain and suffering before you die. There's damages for loss of income to your family after you die. But for the life itself that was lost, it's worth nothing. It goes on. The families of U.S. soldiers who gave their life in active duty received between $250,000 and $800,000. Maybe that's a type of value that we can place on someone's life. The U.S. government paid $10,000 to the family of a brother and sister mistakenly shot and killed at a checkpoint in Iraq. Maybe that's another way we can value or prove value of someone's life. The total value of the basic elements in the human body. So think about it, carbon, calcium, iron, and other elements. All right, for a 175-pound man, you would get about $118,000. The largest life insurance policy ever purchased in the U.S. was by a Silicon Valley billionaire, and apparently his life was valued at $201 million. Now, how can you possibly place a value on a human life? What is truly the criteria? And even if you can create some sort of objective criteria to determine your monetary value, is that all that there is to this life is what you are worth financially? You know, this um, James Wood, who is a Harvard professor, uh, he wrote a similar article in The New Yorker, and it was titled, Is That All There Is? In essence, James Wood is writing about the fact that should there and can there and is there more to this life than what we see on this side of eternity? If we were to think about the value of someone's life, how could it be possibly detached from eternity? Even Steve Jobs, when contemplating his own death, confessed that it felt strange uh, to think that you accumulate all this experience and it just goes away. So I really want to believe that something survives, that maybe your consciousness endures. Steve Jobs was um, basically came to the conclusion that death cannot be just an off switch to your body. 
He's struggling with understanding the fact that it's just like a remote, that click, you turn the TV off and it's over. Surely there's more to it than just that. I think when you come to the sixth commandment, it's a commandment that most everyone is familiar with, even if you're not familiar with the Ten Commandments themselves, or at least not even with the Lord. But I think what is interesting is that when you see a detachment from eternity, when there is a detachment from God himself, that there is what follows a devaluing or a diminishing of the value of life itself. And so if you don't mind, would you just stand with me? If you're willing and able, and we're going to read our commandment for the day. And I want to remind you of the first commandment is to have no other gods. The second commandment is to have no idols. The third commandment is to not lose, uh, use the Lord's name in vain. The fourth is to remember the Sabbath. And the fifth is to honor your father and mother. And then we come to Exodus 20, verse 13. And our sixth commandment says, do not murder. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing us to come and study your word. And Father, we ask right now, in the name of Jesus, God, that you would penetrate our hearts today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, you can be seated once again. So as you already know, our commandment for the day is three words in our English translation. It's even worse in uh, the original Hebrew that says lo ratzik, which is only two words that says no murder. And I think that it's interesting because um, of, of this commandment, I think that it's one of the most detailed, one of the most significant. How many times have I said that so far though? Okay. If you've been following along in this journey, it seems like we come to every commandment and said, you know what? I think this might be the most important. You know what? Never mind. I think this might be, listen, it is all building on a theme, but here's what we need to recognize as I alluded to earlier is that as soon as you remove the first four, okay, remember um, there's only one uh, set of rules, the Ten Commandments, but historically they're split up into two tables. All right, Commandments one through four is table one, five through ten is table two. And if you remove table one, table two doesn't matter. Can we just say that? If you remove table one, if you remove the first four commandments, the following commandments, the following table has no meaning. And it should not surprise us that if we detach the first four commandments about worship, who we worship, why we worship, how we worship, that when you come to the idea of the value of life, that apart from God himself, then there is no true value to life. I think we saw the effects of this, what is happening in our society just this past week. Uvalde, Texas will never be the same. 19 kids, two adults, lost. 
families grieving, an entire school district grieving, an entire state grieving, a nation grieving once again. And what is atrocious about this is that you and I have the ability now, because it is so common, to just be numb to it. Why would we be shocked? I mean, you, you think about this for a second. When we think about do not murder, we, we shouldn't be shocked when murder takes place because as a society, we have removed the only reason that it matters. And when you remove God from society, when you remove God from our culture, the only thing that is left is death. The first four commandments set us up on a reality check of why you and I, the way that we treat each other, why it really matters. And let me just say something. This is not any type of of gesturing for a political side. I promise you that. Because both sides this past week, you, you see, come on the scene. They use events like this to move their personal agendas forward. And everyone is looking for a solution. Everyone. You see, the thing is, is that no one watched the events of this past week and were okay with it. This idea of do not murder is just ingrained within us. In fact, every civilization has some sort of law that says you should not kill each other. But what, what I find is that everybody is looking for this solution, but the culture at large is just looking in the wrong place. We continue to ring the same bell as a nation. We continue to sound the same gong as a nation that we just keep hitting it over and over again. And it's that, that we have this idea that somehow legislation is going to help one way or the other. Listen, I promise you, the solution to our culture of death is not found in Washington, and it's not found in Austin. It's found in God's word. And as soon as we remove God's word, his standard, as soon as we say, you know what, this doesn't really matter. Let's get rid of the Ten Commandments in school. Let's get rid of prayer in school. Let's remove God from our schools. Let's remove God from our nation completely. Why would we ever be shocked that we now live in a culture of death? And here is what we need to understand. Here's what we need to understand. Is that unless you and I stand for life truly, according to God's word, then the culture of death will continue to make its way forward. You see, the first thing that we need to understand about life and the value of life is, number one, is we need to realize the distinction of life. You see, there's something unique about you and I. 
There's something unique about every person that has ever been created. Every person that has been formed. And it's they are made in the image of God. You see, God made everything from the beginning. In fact, Paul reiterates this idea in Romans chapter, thir- uh, excuse me, Romans chapter 11, verse 36. It says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. All things, meaning all of creation. And to him be the glory forever. Amen. What is Paul talking about? He's saying that everything was created by God himself, from God. It is to God. This is the reason why we are created. And it stems back all the way from Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, that says, So God created man in his own image. This is known as the Imago Dei. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Now, what does this mean for us? This means that you and I are a part of humanity which has this unique privilege We have this unique badge that that no other plant, no other animal, no other part of God's creation can claim. And that is being made in the image of God. You know that all of creation was paused and the Lord spoke up and said, okay, we're going to have a change of direction for this part of creation. And let's go and make man in our image, meaning that the law of God himself has, he has imprinted himself on each and every one of us. And not only are we made in the image of God, but we are made for a unique relationship with God. You see, no other creation can have a relationship with the Lord. It is only for us as humans. It is only for us as man and woman. And this is why the value of life is found not in any type of monetary gain, The value of your life is not found in your socioeconomic status. It's not found in your retirement account. It's not found in your job. It's not found in your family. It's not found in anything other than the fact that God himself created you in his image. And what this means is being in his image that both male and female, no matter of your ethnicity, no matter of anything that is going on in your past, that you have equal worth, you have equal value, and you have equal dignity because you are made in the image of God. No one can take that away from you. There's no sin in your past that can ruin that for you. There's no, nothing that anybody can say to you and say, you know what, this actually, um, this isn't for you. Only God himself has the authority to make you in his image and he made every single person in his image. And this is where we come to our foundation of how we build our ethical framework for life. You see, everything goes from here. From Genesis chapter 1 and then throughout redemptive history, we can have an ethical framework that says uh, that every life matters because every life is made in the image of God. And that brings us to the next point, the defense of life. We think about these words. I know that for some of your translations, if you still are carrying a KJV, King James Version Bible, it'll say in Exodus 20, verse 13, it'll say, thou shall not kill. And so there's this um, 
Some say murder, some say kill, but, but here's what we need to identify is that uh, the Hebrew language has eight different words for kill. And here, the one that is used is, is very important for us to identify because it's not just talking about killing in general, it's talking about murder specifically. Because here's the, here's the, um, the truth of it, if every killing was bad, then every single one of you that is sitting outside on your patio on a, on a hot summer night here in East Texas and you kill a mosquito, then you are breaking the sixth commandment. But that's not what this commandment means. It's talking about murder specifically. And when we talk about killing, all killing uh, is not necessarily evil. In fact, some killing is not only permitted, but it is warranted according to Scripture. And the first time that we see this, or the, uh, the first on our list here, is capital punishment. You see, capital punishment is established by the Lord through appropriate governing authorities and is not considered a violation of the sixth commandment. You know, some people may believe this was only seen in the Old Testament, but we see this specifically played out by Paul himself. And he says this in Romans chapter 13, verse 4, it says, For it is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant and avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. You see, God established governing authorities, why, according to Paul, for your good, for the sake of life, to prolong life, to keep life established here on earth. The second thing we see is just war. Now I say just war because not all war is just war. We're watching before our eyes with the Russian invasion of Ukraine. This is not justified. This is not, um, this is not killing according to God's design. But I remember back in September of 2000, uh, 2001, I was in eighth grade when the events took place at the World Trade Center towers came down. And I remember the following weeks having conversations with, with peers. You know, eighth graders know everything about the world. Did y'all know that? But I, was, I remember talking with one of, uh, one of my classmates, and I remember them making a statement. He said, listen, if, if we go and bomb them, then that makes us no different than them coming here and bombing us. And I remember being kind of challenged in my faith because I know that I've heard before that there is such thing as just war. And I know that God's word uh, talks about it. But I was having a kind of this crisis here. Okay, well, is it, is it the same thing? Well, the answer is absolutely not. In fact, over and over again that we see in Scripture, not just in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. You know, Paul tells um, in, in Timothy, we, we see that you are to be a good soldier. He's talking about soldiers for Christ, but he references being a good soldier, meaning that it's a good thing to be a soldier. It's a good thing to act in righteousness as a soldier. It's a good thing because there are times that war is required for peace to abound. Nobody wants it. Nobody seeks it. 
Nor am I making a claim that the United States has always been in the right. I'm not making that claim one way or the other. My point is, according to God's word, that in the case for keeping peace, war is permissible. And then the last thing that we see is self-defense. You see, in Exodus chapter 22, verse 2 and 3, it says, If a thief is caught in the act of breaking in and he is beaten to death, no one is guilty of bloodshed. But if this happens after sunrise, the householder is guilty of bloodshed. A thief must make full restitution. If he is unable, he is to be sold because of his theft. Now, what this is talking about is self-defense. And when he's talking about if it happens after sunrise, what he's talking about is not the timing of the day, but what it's talking about is if all of the evidence comes to light and it is found that this person was defending their house or if this was a case of self-defense, then the killing was actually permitted. That it was permitted, that it was okay in these regards. And this is why we have an incredible safety team right here in our church. Because we believe in self-defense for the sake of peace and for the sake of righteousness. Not just for the sake of bullying people or anything like that. But there is godliness in keeping peace and making peace. Even Jesus himself in the, in the Beatitudes, in the Sermon on the Mount, as he is opening up uh, for the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, those who are making peace. And this is what we are called to do for the sake of life is to make peace. But we also see the destruction of life. See, this is where we must understand the intention of this Hebrew word that says murder versus killing. You see, murder, what it's talking about here in the Ten Commandments is any form of wrongful death. Any form of wrongful death is considered murder according to God's law. In Genesis chapter 4, we see the very first murder take place between Cain and Abel. But then in Genesis chapter 9, it comes up once again. In verse 6, it says, whoever sheds human blood by humans, his blood will be shed. For God made humans in his image. You see what's happening here is even in Genesis 9 is reverting back to why, why is this the case? Because all of mankind is made in the image of God. And as we talk about the image of God, you know, we talk about this often here at Green Acres because as soon as God made man in his image in Genesis 1 verse 27, then God gives them to com this command to go be fruitful and multiply. He says to subdue the earth. What is it talking about? What the Lord is talking about with Adam and Eve there is because you are made in the image of God, you are called to replicate that image and subdue the earth with that image. In fact, when he says fill the earth, he's not just talking about have babies. He's saying have babies, but make them disciples of the Lord to make them followers. In fact, he's saying fill the earth with my image. That's what the calling is. And so the opposite of filling the earth with God's image is removing God's image from this earth, which is murder. For any wrongful reason, this is murder. And this is what we get at here, the first type 
of murder that we see that is common today is homicide. You know, this is voluntary, involuntary manslaughter. And this is one of the most popular ways that we think of when it comes to understanding murder. We, we think about um, CSI. We think about all these crime shows on, on TV, you know. Uh, the second thing that we see is suicide. Now, I know that this is one of the most difficult topics and conversations to even bring up. But it's a part of what God's word teaches us. And in fact, I think that we would be negligent to not talk about it. You know, suicide is one of those things that there, there aren't many families that have not been affected by suicide. Maybe you know someone individually, maybe a family member, whatever that may be. But I know that this is widely spread. In fact, it is known as an epidemic. And this is hard, and I don't want us to deal with this as just kind of picking an old scab or opening up an old wound. I don't, but if we're truly to be a pro-life people of God, then we must be against suicide. Just as we would be against homicide, we must be against suicide. And what this means for us is that we must be a people that will do everything possible to prevent it from happening. And in the case that it does happen, that we want to be a people that is sensitive, that we want to walk alongside you as you walk through the devastation of this. And this is why I love our counseling ministry here at Green Acres, because we need gospel-centered, we need godly counseling to help us through this. And maybe you personally, maybe you're walking through a season of just darkness, and listen, mental health crisis, this is a real deal. This is something that you and I need to be aware of as God's people because I have, I have sat before a counselor, not here. This was several years ago when I was experiencing just a, a dark season in my life. And I could not for the life of me figure out what was going on. It was right after... Um, Riley, my oldest, after her surgery, I was dealing just with some PTSD stuff just from serving in the fire department. And I remember my wife made me go to the, to the doctor because for the life of me, I couldn't make myself eat. I lost 30 pounds in about two and a half months. And I remember sitting across from that doctor and she was just asking me question after question and she asked me she said do you want to hurt yourself I said no I don't I don't want to hurt myself do you want to kill yourself no I don't I don't want to I'm not planning to or anything like that and then she asked another pressing question she said do you ever think about what it would be like if you weren't here and I told this doctor, I told her, I said, I just think that my family would be better off if I wasn't here. I remember having that moment, that light bulb just go off, that, that finally the Lord just kind of opened my eyes to understand that I'm, I'm going through something here. 
And I'm just going to be honest with you. I thought that it was just because people were weak. How arrogant of me. I just thought it was a a weakness that we just have to pick ourselves up by the bootstraps and just get over it, just grind harder, just pray more, study God's word more, do something. And it's really what I was walking through was just a dark season of depression. And I know that there are many more stories like that, even worse than mine. And I just want to say, if that is you, if you are struggling and you're walking through this, listen, there's no shame from Green Acres. We want to help you. We want to be a body of believers that that rallies around the person that is struggling, that rallies around the person who is questioning why they exist. They're questioning their value. We want to be that kind of people that helps those who are hurting. Would it would... Wouldn't it be incredible that if everybody in this community knew that this was the perfect place to come if I'm not okay? We want to be that people. If that's you, I want to press pause. I want you to just go to this website. Go to gabc.org slash graceworks. Okay, if you are struggling in any way in that, we want to walk with this, uh, with you, through this with you. There's no shame. There's no guilt. We want to help. You know why? Because we're a pro-life people. That you're made in the image of God and you matter to the creator of all things. And he loves you so much. You know how valued you are? You are so valued that Jesus looked at you in your sin and said, I'm going to die in your place. That's how valued you really are. The next thing we see that's against the Imago Dei that is along these lines is euthanasia. You see, this is an active attempt right now to make assisted suicide normal. In fact, in 2001, Holland became the first country to give legal status to doctor-assisted suicide. Listen, this is against the Imago Dei. This is against the image of God. Psalm 71, 9 says this. It says, do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. Do you know what the psalmist is saying? Don't just neglect. Listen, we are to care for the elderly, those who are in hospice care. We are to care for these people. Why? Because we are pro-life and every life matters. And just as much as we are against homicide, just as much as we're against suicide, just as much as we're against euthanasia, we are absolutely against abortion. Did you know that since 1973, (laughs) do you know that since 1973, an estimated 63,459,781 babies have not been aborted. Let's not minimize what is happening here. That's how many babies have been murdered in the womb. And here's what is, here's what we need to be cautious of. This is not a political statement. 
This has nothing to do with politics. This is a gospel statement because you are made in the image of God and every life matters according to God's design and every life has a value. And here is where we need to be cautious is that when we say, when we say that every life matters, we mean that every single life matters in the womb and outside of the womb. What that means is that there is no such thing as racism among God's people. If we're a truly pro-life people, it's not just about abortion. It's about loving your neighbor well. Why? Because we see the demand of life. You see, Jesus takes it just a step further. He says, some of you have been told or some of you have heard Do not murder. But I say to you, Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, but I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. You see, Jesus takes it a step further and he takes the commandment that, that many of us can feel good about. Many times we can say, well, good, I have not murdered anyone yet, but have you been angry with your brother? Have you been angry with someone that is not producing righteousness in your relationship? Are you withholding forgiveness from someone? Are you harboring bitterness for against someone? Are these the things that you can identify with? Because if so, what Jesus says is that harboring these things in your heart, just because you weren't active with your hands, doesn't make you any less guilty of murder. See, this is what is hard. This is what is difficult because when you get to this point, he's saying do not murder. But the opposite end of this is to love your neighbor as yourself. That means to go way out of your way to make sure that your neighbor is taken care of. Go way out of your way to make sure they have what they need. Go way out of their way to make sure that they have everything that they need to know who Jesus Christ is. Why? Because that is the example that Jesus gave us that even in our rebellion, even in the, in the fact that we were running away from God, we were children of wrath, that Jesus himself pursued us in such a way because he valued your life so much and my life so much that he said that even though you're obstinate and against me, that I'm going to die in your place. And this is the example before us. He says that if you live like this, This is what it looks like to abide to the commandment, do not murder. To be a people that loves no matter what. Just like the example from the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan saw the person on the other side. He went to them and made sure that he had everything that he needed. You see, this is the better value. This is what it really looks like to value life as God's people. And I just want to say, before we end our time together, maybe you have been a part of abortion. 
Maybe you have pushed someone to, to do this. Maybe you have secretly been a part of this. I just want to press pause and I want to tell you that there is no sin in your past that is too great for God's grace to cover. Did you know? Did you know that David, King David, the psalmist, that when he was writing Psalm chapter 51, that it was after he had an adulterous relationship. It was after that he committed premeditated murder to cover himself. And he writes this, be gracious to me according to your faithful love, O God. According to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. Will you just close your eyes and just bow your head just for a moment? And maybe that is you today. You are just in desperate need of God's cleansing power. Maybe you have questioned your value your entire life but you have just come to terms with the fact that Jesus loves you so much that he died for you. Maybe today needs to be your day that you give your life to Jesus. Maybe today needs to be the day that you join our church family, that you lock arms with this family of believers. Maybe today is the day that you need to take that step of obedience. Maybe you need to take that step of repentance and take a step toward Jesus Christ himself. Heavenly Father, will you use this time right now, God, to pierce our hearts. God, we wanna be a true pro-life people not for any type of political agenda or not because it's red or blue or anything like that, but because it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you that even though we were dead in our sins, Father, you gave your life so that we may have life. And so now I am praying for those who need you right now. Jesus, will you awaken their spirit to you right now? And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you for joining us today with our church family here at Green Acres Baptist Church. And this invitation is for you. Maybe God is stirring in your heart right now from what you have heard. Maybe you need to give your life to Jesus. Maybe God is calling you right now for salvation. You know, the Bible is very clear that if we uh, confess with our mouth and if we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, the Bible says that you will be saved. And so right now you could pray a very simple prayer and just say, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need you to come into my life and save me. If that's you today, we wanna help you and walk with you with this decision. Maybe for others of you, uh, maybe you've been saved, but maybe you've been waiting to get baptized. Uh, maybe you need to 
figure out what it means to be a member of our church here at Green Acres, whatever that decision is, we want to come alongside you. And so do us a favor. You can fill out the Connect card at GABC.org, and one of our team members will be with you very shortly. Whatever it is that God has laid on your heart, we want to walk with you in your growth in Jesus Christ. I look forward to hearing from you soon.